0: welcome back to another episode of the people of packaging podcast i'm your host adam peak today i'm joined by kelly malazi kelly is a chief motivator she is a sales engagement expert she drops some incredible knowledge on the sales industry on why getting involved in social media is just so incredibly important for people in the sales industry. She's a podcaster. She's an author. She's part of Girls Who Print. She's got her own website, successinprint.net. We talk about printing. We talk about packaging. We talk about selling and sales methodology. It's a great conversation. And before we get into that, I do want to talk to you about our sponsor, SpecRite. SpecRite is the leader in packaging specification management software. Their platform makes it easy for packaging professionals to manage the entire packaging life cycle, from ideation to production. In a nutshell, if you don't know what your specs are, if you are a brand and you do not know definitively what they are, you are going to be in for a world of hurt as the globe changes from EPR regulations to recycling standards, all sorts of stuff is changing. If you don't get your spec right, you're probably going to guess wrong. So make sure you go to specright.com backslash PKG to learn more. dot com backslash PKG to learn more. Let's get his interview with Kelly. All right, well, I'm here with Kelly Malazi. I've been so excited when you meet like a a kindred spirit online. Uh, Kelly and I, we actually, just so everybody knows, I like to, Kelly, I like to let people kind of behind the scenes. We already started this interview and then it, my internet, my computer was like, (laughs) so this is take two of the interview, but uh, I'm, I'm, I, I was, I was excited for the first one and I'm even double excited uh, for the second one. So uh, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: It's so good to be here. I mean, you guys, that first round was Pulitzer prize winning stuff. And it's a tragedy that we had to start over, but it is extremely good to be here um, for round two. So thanks for having me, Adam. The
0: world, the world will never know the genius that was shared during, during, uh, during phase (sighs) one. So uh so Kelly and I we met uh I think I'm pretty sure it was on LinkedIn. Um, and then she comes on this uh the Zoom call. She's got the Pulp Fiction in the background. We we have connected over uh just a I think a a shared desire to see uh sales and marketing brought into just a, a different place within the printing and packaging industry. Um so Kelly, you why don't you just kind of give a little bit of your background? Um, it's mostly in the printing industry, but j- for the packaging people, you know, you have to like print on packaging and there's, there's been a lot of crossover, so I'm sure we'll get into that as well. So why don't you just give us a little bit of a uh, little bit of background on, on your life? What's yeah, you I mean, this I point? feel
1: like, I, I feel like those industries are the Venn diagram there is almost an overlay, right? Printing and packaging to me are I mean, they're not identical and there's a lot of nuance in there, but yeah, they're very, very um similar if not brothers maybe stepbrothers which is one of the funny jokes we had in the we first we did
0: job. oh man Isn't you really, really
1: funny did we just become best friends
0: you really told that, that movie is
1: funnier than it has a right to be adam i mean that
0: can i tell you this is how i feel about a lot of uh if we did not get to this on the first segment but how i feel about a lot of will ferrell movies is i'm like there are so many quotable lines and it was just an awful movie that's i literally walk away not awful in the sense that, like, I mean, there are obviously, like, things that I won't let my children watch in these movies. Right. But, like, the story arc is bad. The the character development is poor. The
1: Other Guys? The Other Guys is the best terrible movie of all time. I mean, that movie is hilarious. And even Zoolander. Like, Zoolander didn't have a right to be that funny. But that movie is awesome. And it's largely because of Mugatu. So we know that... Will Ferrell is the common denominator in all awesome, bad, bad, awesome movies. Um, yeah,
0: I, I, it's, it's like they just, I mean, literally, they're just taking SNL skits and just making really funny SNL skits and chopping them together and being like, here's a movie, everyone's going to love it. And we just totally. do, right? Because we just quote it over and over and over and over and over again, yes. whether it's yes. Anchorman or Zoolander um, I, or, you know, Step Brothers or yes. Old School or any of those movies. All of them. And so
1: Adam, Adam and I could definitely have a second career as movie podcasters. And maybe we better put a pin in that right now because I'm all for that. Um, But yeah, I mean, you were, you were joking earlier that, you know, those of us that are in the printing industry, it's kind of like, once we get in, we can't get out or we have the ink in our veins. I always joke that as a little girl, I didn't run around going, I'm going to be a printer my whole life. I can't, I can't wait for this destiny of mine. But it is close to 30 years and um, I've been in it for a very long time. I have seen a lot of changes in this industry, but I think to your point, what we're really here to talk about today are the adaptations uh, that we would like to see more people making uh, just in terms of how we share information, how we engage with people. I mean, you, you know, I use you as an example all the time when I talk to my customers about amplifying messages. I'm like, you guys, there are podcasts about packaging. You know, there are podcasts about everything you can possibly imagine. And we need to be accessing these and using them because we have to accept that there are a full five generations of people in the workforce, all of whom consume information differently, seek information differently. And that's why, you know, the fact that you and I became friends on LinkedIn is a real thing. Right, and it happened probably because of the pandemic, right? Oh, I I absolutely used LinkedIn as a lifeline during the pandemic to connect with people because I didn't have any other choice. Yep. And now, and so I'm friends with you. I'm, I mean, there are dozens of people I've connected with, um, and have you know maintained solid relationships with over LinkedIn. Now, thankfully, we're starting to have events in person again and things like that. But look, I don't think we're ever going back. I don't think we're ever going back to a model of sales where you call somebody on the phone, schedule an appointment, and go in for a presentation. Yeah. Right? And we may
0: see we may see a little bit of that. But in terms of I think the the expectations of of the buying community have also shifted. And I and I do I I try to let, you know, just help people understand this. And it's like, well, how do you buy? And they're like, Oh, because all salespeople are also buyers. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, we we buy things all the time. And it's like, well, how did your buying shift? Did you start buying groceries online? Did your e-commerce stuff pick up? How many, how many emails did you start to get during the pandemic? Did you start to get text messages? Were they annoying? What emails did you like? And it's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, so think through those things. Cause you're getting messaging all we're getting great sales training all the time from other companies. Like, why did you act on that? Why did that post get your attention? And I just, I don't think that salespeople necessarily think that way all the time. Um, and, and that, that's going to, I hope that that's shifting, um, you know, for sure. So you've been, you've been in the industry for 30 years. You said it's been, I'm sure it mostly in sales and marketing. Or yeah, all sales, all sales. The all sales. Okay. And
1: the. I feel like the marketing is, I I mean, in many cases, I feel like I'm not really qualified to talk about marketing, I don't have a marketing degree. Uh, but I do understand how those two things are becoming more and more intertwined and interdependent. Um, and again, I just take this one particular statistic and think that this should be the fire that lights everyone from business owners all the way down to the, you know, salespeople and everybody in the organization. 70% of the buying decision is made before anybody speaks to your organization. And so the takeaway from that is you better have a good website and you better have a good social media presence. Mm-hmm. Lacking those two things, you are making your life a lot more difficult than it needs to be. Um, and so, you know, again, those are the things that, that I want to talk to people about and that I am talking to people about is, is again, like... Fi- think of all the ways that you go out and it's exactly what you just said. How do you look for information? You Google it, you do research, you ask for referrals, you go to Yelp, you know, all of those things. So we have to create all the messaging and all of the strategy and all the engagement tactics, thinking about how it's going to land on the end user. Am I am I saying something that's going to compel them to action? Am I making sure they understand why they would want to engage with somebody like me. Um, And, you know, again, the internet is our best friend there, because this con this content already exists, more than you'll ever be able to get your hands on amazing content about, um, you know, that's educational or engaging or entertaining. And so I, I just hope and I think you probably think this too, that we just have to access it and share it in ways that that are effective. And and that's how we build community. And that's how we establish trust and and get people more into a mode of like, yeah, that's somebody I would want to do business with.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So over looking back over the 30 years, would you say the last call it, you know, three to five years has been the most dynamic in terms of, the, the abrupt changes that have happened for sales and marketing professionals within kind of the printing and packaging world. It seemed that that would be my ops. I mean, I've been in, I've been in packaging for 15 years now. Um, you know, I spent some time as a buyer. So I've, you know, I, I had a guy that showed up every Tuesday at my office with some donuts and the, and the newest pricing guide. And that's what he did. He just rolled around all of us. And this was,
1: and that worked. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It worked to some extent. I mean, part of that had to do with habit and I'm sure institutional or, you know, decision-making, but yes. I mean, the idea that we've had to adapt beyond the phone and in-person, you know, face-to-face communication is what is crippling a lot of people. That's, because forget 30 years some of these people have been doing it for 40 or 50 in the same the same way. So yeah, that that is extremely challenging for people to go, "Oh, wait, so you're saying to me I can have a conversation over LinkedIn?" Yes. You're saying it's okay to text people conditionally? Yes, <laughs> right? Like there are a lot of different things that we can be doing to effectively communicate with people today that don't involve the phone and don't involve face-to-face meetings. So 3 to 5 yeah i mean i would almost go so far as to say the you know the pandemic mm-hmm. is going to irreversibly have affected that because of what we're doing right now and because of the probably if you're like me hundreds of zoom calls that you're on in a given year now because now i can very effectively conduct a meeting without having to get on an airplane and, you know, and go somewhere or get in a car and drive. I mean, there are some efficiencies we've captured, you know, and, you know, again, even just the idea of why leave a voicemail when you can shoot a quick video and send it to them. My personality is going to come out more. Um, you're going to understand a little bit more about me by, by watching my face and, and, um, you know, and listening to me talk. So these are just things again, like, I just want people to embrace them and understand that it's not as hard as you think it is, um, and that at the at the end of it all, like it's just more fun.
0: Let's take a quick break here. As Kelly was talking about uh, how the pandemic is irreversibly going to impact how sales is done, um, I think that what our sponsor Specrite is doing has also uh, irreversibly changed how companies are going to manage their own internal data. And they the, uh, Matthew Wright, who's the CEO of SpecWright, came out with a book recently that you can go pick up on amazon and to get it if you want to help support the podcast to get it you can actually go to my website which i know is ugly i'm not a website designer i promise you in 2022 i'm going to fix it but you can go to adampeek.com a-d-a-m-p-e-e-k.com and there's a little button that says amazon the evolution of products and packaging if you click it there you buy it through that link i get a small amount of credit a little pat on the back so go to AdamPeak.com, check out how spec right uh, check out a little bit about their history, how it's evolved and what it is they're doing to change the game. Just like Kelly's doing with sales spec doing it with specification management. I know let's get back to hearing more from Kelly.
1: Yep. We learn more, we have more fun, um, you know, and, and we do develop meaningful, meaningful connections with people that we may very well never meet face to face.
0: Yeah, for sure. Some of, some of my, most impactful relationships over the last year and a half you know almost two years during the pandemic have all come from online I mean certainly my best friend Doug that I've known since preschool like it's not like that relationship dissipated or went away right like we would still talk on the phone and things like that but like a lot of my business relationships I think about um, so I do a lot of work with Avelio Matos and Corey Connors, and they've got the yep. Packages Nine in and, and the Sustainable Packaging Podcast. And they just sort of became like these kindred, just like I was talking about with you, like these kindred spirits where we've at, we've never met in person. And we probably call, text, get on Zoom calls. We're on Clubhouse together. We're ho- like We do this stuff every week and almost every day. And I've never met either one of them in person. Now, hopefully uh, it, So Specrite's doing this like specification management summit in Austin. And they invited both of us, uh, all three of us to go down there and oh. like maybe in January, we'll get to meet in person. It'll be crazy. But the fact that you can build deep, meaningful relationships and not have met somebody face to face today is, it, I, I think that the pandemic really accelerated that. So,
1: Absolutely. um,
0: and, and it just, it's, it's a thing that exists today. If you're willing to put in the work so let me ask you when when you're going around and you're talking with with companies because that's what you do primarily right? you go mm-hmm. do sales and marketing consulting we uh, yeah. call we call it, it schmarketing <laughs> at, at Myers we have a schmarketing meeting uh, so when you're doing sales and marketing consulting um, what's what is the biggest or most common reason why today your customers are saying we just don't see it Kelly we don't because to so you and I, it's like, this is, this makes a ton of sense, but clearly, yeah. clearly your services are still in demand. And so what, what is stopping some of these companies from, from jumping head first into the, we'll call it like the new wave or the next wave of selling?
1: Well, one is scarcity mindset. There are a lot of companies out there that are like, I'm not saying anything publicly because that means my competitors are just going to swoop in and steal my customers away from me. Or they're just, they don't believe in sharing, you know? And, and again, I think that's the definition of scarcity mindset. So that is um, a big factor for a lot of companies. And the other factor is I can't show you a definitive ROI, right? I cannot promise you, or back it up with a million dollar guarantee that the time and energy that you spend on on social media is gonna come back to you in the form of hard dollars and cents within 90 days. So it's just too much shouting into the abyss and not enough guarantee um, for their beliefs anyway. So they just simply do not believe that it's worth it. Um, But it really only takes me going, so you know that there are, a very large percentage of the population of people who are empowered to make buying decisions that are under 50, right? And, and so when we start talking about the different generations and how they've grown up with technology and what their communication preferences are. That's pretty much all it takes for somebody to go, okay, I get it, you're right. Because most of them have children or grandchildren that are in that demographic and they know that those kids don't pick up the phone. Those people don't pick up a phone to talk to somebody. So it's, it's really, you know, somebody trying to make a compelling argument for them for why they should adapt. But it's also, again, having the, having the confidence of 30 years in the industry to go, if you don't do this, good luck to you. I really, I really wish you good luck. Cause to me, it's like, There are two two must-haves, social media presence and CRM. If you're not using a CRM to manage your prospects and customers, and if you're not using social media to engage with and build an audience, there's not a whole lot I can do for you. Um, And these are just, so these are just kind of fundamental beliefs. It's like teaching a kid how to do math. Why is it this way? I don't know. This is just why it is. This is just how it is. And yes, I'm very much going through trying to teach certain math things to an 11-year-old, which is not fun.
0: <laughs> so, Yeah, I, I, I really resonate with that. And it's interesting that you make the connection between social media and CRM. I'm a, I'm a passionate uh, believer in both of those as well. And what's funny to me is when you say, I cannot give them a definitive ROI on social media. But on the flip side of that, when it's like, well, can you give me definitive ROI on your sales activities? And the answer is, for a lot of companies, especially if they don't believe in CRM, of course not. They yeah. have no idea what's the value of a phone call. If if their whole thing is phone call, email, and door knocking and direct mail, right? Maybe those are the four ways of outreach. If they don't have a CRM, if they don't believe in data and they don't have a CRM to track what all those are doing, then they have no idea what they're they're just guessing on that. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. at least with social media, you know, there's things like I use a, an analytics app called Shield. And so I can look at Okay, what is what's resonating? Where am I getting engagement? Where do I need to, you know, pivot a little bit? Um, Like I, I'm, I'm an analytical person. When it came, I did that when I was in sales. It's why I went into sort of the blue ocean of social media, not because I love. I actually hate social media, and (laughs) most people don't know that. In terms of like, I would much rather it not be effective. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be trying to build an audience on TikTok right now. (laughs) It annoys me, but there's over a billion users on TikTok and there's not a lot of B2B stuff going on there, except the people who are doing it are crushing it. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, I can be an early adopter there. Do I want to be on TikTok? Of course not. Um, I... I don't like Instagram. I'm not on Instagram at all. I'm not on Facebook at all. I'm not on Twitter at all. You know, maybe Twitter, it has a little bit more efficacy to it, but like, I don't go on social media because I really love social media. Mm-hmm. I go on it because analytically, I figured out that this is a place where I can get, I can build a, a personal brand and, and not be dependent at the time when I was doing outbound selling, I did not have to be dependent on my own company's marketing efforts because right. I could go create my own personal marketing. Um, and that's why I did it, right? But but to say for every LinkedIn post you do, you're going to get X, that's silly. But I would say if, if, if you are not engaged online as a as an individual, companies for sure, but as an individual, if you are not engaged on some level online, you're probably still doing okay in the printing and packaging world. It's not doomsday. You're probably making a good amount of money be, you know, you probably have had the same customers for 10, 15, 20 years and, and, and you'll probably retire fine. Right. Like that's, I'm not, I'm not like a doomsday person when it comes to this, <laughs> but if you are, if you are younger and if you're looking at a, you know, if you want to be in this career for the next 15, 20, 25, 30 years, you really better if and you're not, you don't have an online presence, you better start building it now. Cause it's not, it's clearly not going away. You know what I mean like
1: yeah, or- i mean you've uh, you've you've brought up so many things there because there is the idea that even without a company's presence behind you there's a lot you can do from a personal perspective uh to build a community and and have linkedin be a good amplification tool for your own messages that you want to land with your um with your audiences but i also think i've sat in enough meetings where a high level marketing person is talking to print companies and packaging companies about marketing analytics. And I see them just glaze over cause it sounds too scary and hard. Whereas what I say is when I put up a video that I make myself and I don't get 2000 views of it, that's a disaster. That's something easier for them to understand. Like all it, t- you know, the little counter is right there on LinkedIn. So the analytics could be as basic as How many people liked your post? Or even more, how much did you build your community this week? Mm -hmm. Right? So, if you have a thousand followers today and you wanna add, you wanna increase that by 10 every week, that takes five minutes. Right? So, I wanna distill things down to people in a way that makes it very accessible for them and for them to understand like, you don't need a marketing degree, you don't even need to know a ton about social media anything you need to know can be taught to you. And I also tell them too, like, it's not your fault. You don't know how to do these things. When you're my age, you know, when you're in, if you're Gen X or, or a boomer or something like that, there was nobody, you know, if you did figure out how to do this stuff, good for you, but no one taught us. We all had to either figure it out ourselves or, or ask someone to show us how to do it. Right. So it's not, you know, there's no shame in, in even coming to this late in the game. I'm, I'm regularly teaching a class on how to make a post on LinkedIn and what a hashtag is and what tagging is and stuff like that. So, you know, again, if I, if there was any takeaway from any of this, it's like, it's not too, it's never, ever too late
0: to adapt
1: and say like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to play around on LinkedIn a little bit, try to grow my following, try to, try to find some really interesting content out there because it's there. There is really, really good stuff. You know, your podcast, obviously, but there is so much good stuff out there. You'd never be able to find it all, (laughs) even if you spent all day, every day looking for it. And that's, I mean, that's good news because no matter who your audience is and what you're trying to tell them, it's, it's all there for you. So you don't have to become a content creator. You can just become a curator and a sharer, you know? So-
0: Totally agree, yeah, it's not uh, and I the, the idea that it's it's not too late it's it's never too late, right there's it's and and it's it's not going you're going to learn stuff, especially on LinkedIn. It's really hard to sort I find it really hard to like doom scroll on LinkedIn where uh that's the reason I got off of Facebook and Instagram was I was like I'm not learning anything here, I am just simply passing the time filling my brain with useless stuff. Whereas on LinkedIn, from my perspective, if somebody is not posting something that is interesting, the algorithm does a pretty good job of making sure it does. And I see it because I'll post stuff and, I, and it's like, Oh, that got no engagement at all. It's like, yeah, that was all pretty self-serving. It sounded a lot like a commercial and and LinkedIn doesn't want to promote that. Right. So good on, good on them. It doesn't always work that way, but um, I just find that it's, it's, It is a tremendous tool and there are, there's a lot of ways we can go, you know, you talked about like using video communication, not just zoom calls, but like I use bomb bomb to do video emails and I do video outreach on LinkedIn, just a a quick, you know, note to somebody there's uh, there are, there's a lot of modern ways to do outreach that are kind of all connected to social media. And, and um, I, I'm going to give you a time at the end to kind of talk about how people can engage with you on that because I think you're doing a great job teaching that. Thanks. I want to pivot a little bit because I, this is a really important topic for me, which is the modernization of selling has also led to some modern, um, some a disconnect I, I've seen between sales leaders who say what they want and then sales leaders who act differently. And what I mean by that Is there's no sales leader, at least that I know right now, who would stand up and publicly say, I want somebody who is stuck in 1998, who is only using those kind of sales methodologies, who does not want to embrace modern selling, who doesn't care about the modern buyer and the fact that there's seven different 6.8 or 7.8 decision makers and that 70% of their decisions are made prior to the sale. And that over 80%, like I don't that are are Gen X or younger that are making B2B buying decisions. I don't care about that at all. I just want somebody who's who is gonna be stuck, right? Like nobody, nobody ever says that. And you know, you hear a lot of like, we need more diversity in thought, we need more empathy, we need more compassion, we need people to ask better questions, we need people to be more giving, you know, like these kinds of things. But yet you see job postings, you see people just talk in, in different ways about like, well, I need somebody with 10 to 15 years experience or whatever it is. It's like, well, then you're, you're not going to get those kinds of people. And so I, I, I love the work that you're doing, for example, like with girls who print um, because I, I see this disconnect. I'm like, if you want more empathy in sales, I, I, I have three daughters. I have uh, and two sons. I have one wife. Uh, I have two sisters. Like if you, they are far more empathetic than me and my guy friends. And that's a really broad statement, but I'm like, if you want more empathy and compassion, and if you want people who really understand what's going on, like you, you need to be focused on hiring different people than what you've been doing. Cause you're saying, I want more of this. Like if we want more empathy, I'll just say like, we need more women in sales leadership positions in the printing and packaging industry. I said it, it came out on the podcast and it's public. Um, so <laughs> So talk to me a little bit about like some of the work you're doing with girls who print as girl number two. um, And, you know, just, are you, am I just, am I not seeing it? Like, is is there a change uh, that's that's afoot or am, am I?
1: Well, what you're really talking about is intention, but then making sure the actions match the intentions. Right. So I don't really understand why it would ever be considered a problem for an owner to say, or, you know, a a sales leader to say, I want to hire some women. Like there's nothing discriminatory about that. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But typically when people look for jobs, maybe it's who they're asking or what their communities look like. They, if they keep hiring more gentlemen and to your point too, something that you didn't quite say, but how ridiculous is it to go looking for somebody with a book of business today? Right? Like, That is not the right, that's not the right solution to your, what you were saying earlier is, yeah, I'd want to go, I was joking about this the other day, the people who bring your groceries out to, to, from Target, when you're, when you do curbside pickup, have great, great attitudes, great energy, they move quickly. Like I'd want to be like, Hey, I want to talk to you about your future, but here's the problem with that, right? That's going to take two years. That's going to take a two-year investment and training and development and bringing somebody along. And I think that many companies don't have the infrastructure in place to support that. And up until, up until the great resignation, I think that companies thought they were getting away with um, compensation programs that today are just not going to fly, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like a commission only, like best of luck to you, we'll pay you based on your sales performance. I mean, I I don't see a 27-year-old jumping at the opportunity to make nothing for a good long time while they're building a book of business. Um, In fact, I'm here to, you want to say something controversial about, you know, everybody should go hire more women. I think that the whole compensation program needs to be burned down and started over. You know, how we we compensate people based on what their jobs are. Um, Some companies that are doing it very successfully have segmented this. There are hunters that are paid a certain way, and then there are farmers that are paid a whole different way. And those jobs are not the same, right? They, they, they've completely segmented their workforce. And I think that's a really smart way for some people to do it. Because in most cases, Adam, you're seeing, hey, guess what? Your job is to go out and find new business, cultivate it, grow it, bring it in, and take care of the existing business, and write up jobs, and do quotes, and deliver proofs. And, uh, oh, by the way, collections.
0: Yeah. <laughs> were, you, were, you follow, were you following me around uh, my job for the last 10 years? Because that's exactly that's what, what it is, right? It's right? It's like, and then, and then your best salespeople, what, what ends up happening is your best. And, and I say sales, not in the general, in the, in the sense, like for me, the definition of selling is you need to be able to influence change with within an organization, right? So you have to be able to go in and 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 influence the 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 buying process. I'm not to, order taking is different than selling. And they're both account management is is incredibly valuable, right? Like you can't afford to be losing business. And so account management is super, super valuable. But if you if you like I I'll be totally candid. I was not the greatest account manager when I was just like when I was a pastor, like I was, I was pretty good at preaching, but I was not really good at counseling. Um, Like there were just certain things that I I knew I wasn't good at, but I was pretty good and I was pretty comfortable about talking to total strangers. Mm -hmm. And, but eventually when you got to a certain point, it was like, all I'm doing right now is generating quotes. Like you said, delivering proofs, following up on jobs, making sure we're getting paid, uh, taking on new projects uh you know within existing accounts, somebody moves to this company over there, and maybe i got some- maybe I got some new business, but there's no organically driven sales growth because you have you have you've essentially burdened the people who were doing that with with work that they're probably not great at or it's not it's not as valuable
1: and then i mean then you've got all these culture problems right there's all these problems of how the CSRs are feeling and what they're willing to do um, whether you have estimators or not I mean there there are just a, a lot of things that make it difficult I think uh, especially if you were deciding like hey I want to bring some young people into into this mix so that I know that I'm gonna have a pipeline of Valuable employees for the next thirty years because we know there's going to be a big cliff we're going off with salespeople and pressmen and all of it, right? That like we're just an aging industry. So yeah, what would we be looking for if we were going to bring in somebody new, a good communicator, somebody who does understand how to gather data and how to how to um, you know suss out a good story. So somebody maybe with a journalism background, with a research background, somebody who can craft a good email. And is somebody who, you know, what would I want more than anything? Somebody who can write good subject lines, because to your point of having to sift through all these emails that have been generated since COVID, like, how would you, if you're getting a thousand emails a day, you're at least going to pay attention to the ones where the the subject line is a little provocative or a little, you know, a little interesting. So it is, it's no small job. You know, I, I get that it's difficult, but this, again, it takes intention, I think owners and sales leaders have to say, I understand that things are different today. I understand I may have to look at everything differently. I may have to look at the titles, the skills, the metrics, all of it in a different way. Um, And I'm going to have to manage how that all meshes with a culture that has always looked at things, you know, in a certain way. So in many cases, it I mean, they shouldn't even be expected to do this on their own, right? There can be—I I would imagine there have to be people out there that can help with with these kinds of things. It certainly wouldn't be me, but um, you know, to to repair maybe some long term damage that's been done between the departments—that's a pretty common thing, right? Res, you know, resentment between sales and and um, and production and things like that. Um, but we have to make our workplaces into places that a twenty seven year old wants to come and work
0: yeah, yeah, for sure i mean and and culture is is such i mean it's it's such a buzzword, right, but it is such a huge differentiator um with uh, the other day i I put a post on LinkedIn about how everybody seems to have the exact same selling propositions within the printing and packaging space. And, and there's nothing unique about these things because everyone is saying basically the same things. Um, but I think culture is a real, can be a real driver. And I've seen it. I've, I've seen, you know, back when I was with WS Packaging, like I, I saw us acquire a, a really, you know, a company with really good culture. It was a small, you know, print shop and then try to convert them into a bigger, you know, be part of a bigger culture. And it did not go well. Do you know what I mean? And it wasn't yeah. like the, the press operators were the same. The rewinders were the same. The CSRs were the same, the people and the, the machinery and the equipment was all the same, but what changed was two things, culture and like an ERP system. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole thing went, went sideways. So it's, it, that is, that is such a critical, it's such a critical thing, especially within like a sales and marketing. Um, I I could not agree with you more. And if you're going to, if you want to, I'll call it modernize your sales team. If you want to have more uh, diverse thought, diverse backgrounds, people from, from different industries, you have to expand your thoughts on what makes a good salesperson. So I've told people this all the time. And you mentioned, you know, the, the grocery person coming out from target, um, you know, or maybe it's like the, the, per, the person at Chick-fil-A cause they are, you know, they're just, they're, they're trained in customer service. Um, this is a weird one, but because I'm a, I'm a pastor by trade, I'm like, do you know who asks, who has to ask a lot of questions? Who has to be involved in really hard conversations about, you know, loss of life, uh, divorce, Uh, just incredible amounts of personal pain. And you have to go live with a person in that and walk through that with them pastors. That's what, that's what we do, you know? And so it's like, that's what I think made me brought me a lot of success in my, in my sales career was that, you know, I, I, I spent time in Rwanda counseling genocide orphans and hearing their stories. So So to go from that to an angry customer call because their labels are going to be three days late, like I understand it's a problem for them, but I could stay really even keeled. You know, I could ask the hard questions. I could be present in the moment because of my training. And so looking outside of the industry, and by the way, there were people internally at my first company who didn't want to hire me because quote, I didn't have any experience Right. Um, and you know, I'll I'll give a, a public shout out to to my man Mark Potter, who is my first boss who really fought for me. So oh, wow. yeah, you know, I mean, finding people from different backgrounds, from different industries, but but if you bring them into a toxic culture, you're setting them up for failure as well. And and it's not, you know, culture is not having a happy hour every Friday and throwing a foosball table in the middle of your of your, you know, your facility, right? Like it it goes really, really it's deep. top
1: down. I mean you know, everybody's going to look to the leadership to know how to act and how to treat other people. And so when you have empathy at the top, when you have inclusiveness at the top, uh, when you have a culture of development and, you know, that I care about your career and I care where you're going um, and I want to help you be better, like that's empowerment, that's leadership. Um, And again, I feel like the younger generations are not playing. No, they can smell that. They can smell that stuff a mile away. And I mean, I've stepped in some organizations recently where I'm like, oh, dear Lord, the the lawsuits are just moments away. You know, <laughs> like the younger, you know, again, and it's not like they're they're not asking for a lot. They're just asking for fairness. You know, they're just asking to be treated decently in a workplace. And this is not too much to ask. But yeah, I mean, I think everybody has a long way to go in terms of, um to your point about you know diverse voices diverse perspectives diverse lived experience you know i think it would be fantastic to have different different um you know gender identities different um backgrounds all of it would be beneficial in any organization and i mean you asked earlier about about women in the industry i mean i just i just gave a keynote at a women in print event in minneapolis And there were 140 women in that room, you know, so that, I mean, that tells me that if in one metropolitan area, there are that many women who decided to all have lunch together um, on and, and gather to talk about, you know, common experience that there are more women in the industry today than there probably were 30 years ago. And that's Mm -hmm. a step in the right direction, Um, you know, and, and, and again, that the intention behind what leaders are going to do for the future, that that's within your grasp. That's within everybody out there is to decide these are the kinds of people I want to hire. This is the kind of experience I want. But also like having a plan for what happens on day one and beyond. You know, you talked about culture being a a buzzword. Onboarding is a buzzword too, but we, you know, how many jobs did you start where it was like, there's your desk, Godspeed, right? (laughs) Like
0: yeah, that was yeah, onboarding. That, yeah. That is, uh, that that has, has certainly happened. <laughs> you know, it's like it it is, and and being in Salt Lake City, um, you know, being around the tech community, uh, I, I have at least been exposed to companies that, you know, take business development seriously. have been exposed to, um, you know, companies who have done who, who do onboarding well, who value data, who value metrics. And so that's my, you know, my network is not necessarily printing and packaging people when I'm at these networking events, but it's, you know, it's people from, from all sorts of places. Well, Kelly, we are, uh, we're, the time has just absolutely flown. We've been on, uh, we had take one and now we're on take two, but take two has gone 40 minutes. And I feel like I honestly feel like I'm just getting started in, in some of these conversations, and it's like, oh my gosh! So uh, we're going to wrap it up. I think this will not be the first time that we're making some sort of content together, whether it's I hope not. some video, some live videos, some um, uh, you know, just best practice. I, there's so much stuff to, to dive into here. So uh, I want to give you an opportunity, though. How can people get in touch with you? Clearly, LinkedIn. Right. That would yeah, be- LinkedIn
1: is definitely a great way to reach me because you can private message me. All my contact information is there, and so I kind of like to like to leave it there. I mean, I do have a website. It's successinprint.net, um, but like many printers, my website and and, and packaging companies, my website uh, could be better. But yeah, LinkedIn is a great way to start. You can reach me. You can text me, email me, call me, send me a private message on any of the social channels. But I'm I'm always here to help um and especially you know women in the industry we just launched a new um a new mentoring network through girlswhoprint.net so that's another way um to get involved whether you need a mentor or want to be a mentor I feel like that's a really um a strong way for us to all support each other so I've really enjoyed this you're the best
0: it's we just awesome. became best friends. We did. We just became <laughs> best friends. And our, our, correct me if I'm wrong, our Vicky Stroll and uh, Camille Corchism, are they're part of Girls Who Print as well, right? Oh yeah. They're awesome.
1: Definitely. So uh, they've, good.
0: They've both been on, on the podcast as well. And uh, uh, they're, they're just phenomenal people. So um, we'll make sure everyone connects up with Kelly. Uh, I'll have your link in the show notes that your uh, success in print dot net website i'll have that yes have that in the in the show notes as well um kelly this it, i i i mean it when i say it like it's been awesome and it has thank um, you thanks so much for sharing with our community and we this will this definitely not going to be our last conversation I guess.
1: awesome <laughs> i look forward to talking to you again and meeting someday face to face wouldn't that be nice it'd be great all right all right bye thanks adam
0: Well, that is it for another episode of the People of Packaging Podcast. Thanks for listening. It would mean so much to us if you would like and share and subscribe to this podcast. We want as many people to know about the incredible people that we have in the packaging industry because we believe that packaging is awesome. Thanks again.